don't you stand to your feet. Happy Father's Day to the fathers. Once again, let's give God a hand praise one more time for our fathers. Amen, 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 amen. Let's open up to First uh, Corinthians, the ninth chapter, um, verses 17 to 23. We're going to stop at 23 today, and we'll catch up on it next time. First Corinthians, First Corinthians, the ninth chapter, verses 17, 17 uh, through 23. Uh, Verse 19, I'm sorry, verse 19, here we go. It says, for though I am free from all, I have made myself a servant to all that I might win more of them. Keep going. Amen, amen, amen. Um, to tag this text that we have today, I would like to talk about briefly uh, before the Lord God, living a missionary lifestyle. Living, somebody say living. living. A, missionary a missionary lifestyle. Right. Let's pray. Father, we thank you, honor you for um, your mercy and your grace and your strength in Christ. And we know that only grace and truth are found in Lord Yahshua himself. And so God, I thank you. And I honor you for that. And God, I pray today that you would help us uh, to recognize the necessity uh, of our lives to be poured out for you. And, and we, we, in order for us to pour out life, you have to pour life in us. And I thank you that in Christ, you pour your life into us so that we can pour that very life out into others. But what is beautiful about being in you, God, is our cup always is running over when we know you by your grace. And so, God, I pray today that you would help. I need power. This this is a speech if there's no ghost and there's no oil and there's no help from heaven. I, I need that oil that makes preaching absolutely easy, God. And we need that strength that, that, that gets your people's hearts ready to hear what you have to say. And so will you blow in your powerful way, Lord God? Will you blow with heaven's oil and strength and wind? And let, uh, uh, Lord, Lord God, I pray that you would be glorified, uh, your saints would be edified, and your enemies would be horrified. God, let the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be acceptable in your sight. Oh God, our strength and our redeemer in whom we trust. In Jesus' mighty name we pray. Everybody agree with that said? Amen. Amen. You may be seated. You may be seated. You may be seated. Uh, Today's sermon sort of reminds me of uh, the late 1980s, early 90s, uh, when, when, when hip-hop was extremely, uh, uh, what, can I, what can I say, nationalistic, if you will. And, 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 and there was a group that came out during that period of time uh, called Public Enemy. And, 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 and that group, Public Enemy, had the first, I, I would say the first hype man uh, to, to, to ever come out, and for those who don't know what a hype man is, 
When a rapper doesn't have stage presence, he gets a hype man to help him have stage presence. All right. So this hype man was named Flavor Flav. Flavor Flav, um, uh, uh, the the dark-skinned New Yorker with the clock around his neck, uh, the size of a chest cavity, uh, 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 began being a hype man. And what's interesting is, is you would never know that the man's government name is William Drayton. You know what I'm saying? I'm like, Flavor Flav William Drayton. Okay, so how'd that come out of that? But as the years went on, as the years went on and on, you really couldn't tell the difference between Flavor Flav and William. Uh, because Flavor Flav had become the mascot of hip-hop culture and even that group in, in, in particular, and, and he took on the fullness of that identity. What, what, whatever you believe about it, that's not my point today, but it's interesting that he fully threw himself into the identity that people had adopted him into. And, 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 and the same way that uh, 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 William became uh, 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 Flavor Flav, we as believers are supposed to adopt the new identity that God gives us. That new identity is an identity in Jesus Christ. However, there are several things that should mark our identity in Christ that should be overarching umbrellas of who we are called to be in relation to the gospel. Number one, we're called to be worshipers. Somebody say worshipers. Jesus said the true worshiper of God will worship him in spirit and in truth. Spirit meaning new connection with God, truth meaning the person of Jesus Christ. How many of you know that truth ain't information, it's a person? Okay, and, 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 so, and, and, so, and so we're called to be worshipers. It, worshiping is not just singing a song, it's being a song. Oh, they're not going to talk back to me today, so I got to keep going. So we got under one umbrella, we got worship. Then under the under umbrella that we're called to be as believers, no matter what ethnicity you are, no matter what background you call, is a missionary. Somebody say missionary. You, 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 you're not just called to do missions. Every believer is called to as an identity as a missionary. Well, in, in, in Matthew chapter 28, verse 18 through 20, this is what Jesus has called the church to do, is to make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost. Those are, and so that we, we, we do that out of the identity that we have, not out of something that we try to attain or do. So you are a worshiper and, and a, 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 a missionary. Your, your, your mission should work worship and your worship should be missiological. Are you tracking with me? Let me say that again in case you didn't get it. Your, your worship should be missiological and your mission sh should be worshipful. That means your life has to be built around God's mission. If your life is not built around God's mission, you're out of the will of God. Any church that's not built around God's mission is out of the will of God. Any church that doesn't view mission as worship and don't view the believers there as worshipers who are reconnected to God but are infused and, 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 and strengthened by truth is not a truth. It has to be both and, not either or. And, and, and so Paul shows us some things in this as we move forward in this effort to do what we have to do by God's strength to reach lost people. What's interesting is Philadelphia is 95% unchurched. 95% unchurched. In the region, there are six million people. If all the churches in our region were filled up with people, there would be 5.6 million people unable to be engaged in a local community by the church. 
So we have 2,500 churches in the city, 1.6 million. We're back at number five above Phoenix now. 1.6 million people in the city limits. And if everybody were to fill up, whether it's house churches, <coughs> building, all, all those different things, we would have a, a, about 1.35 million people uh, unengaged by the gospel on a weekly basis. And an engage, that, that lets us know we have 2,500 churches, but there's not enough church. That's why we plant churches. We start churches to plant the gospel. And, 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 and us as believers, we're called to always be a church plant ourselves. That, that means a church plant based on the book of Acts is always on the edge and, and, and see the urgency of the need to get the good news of Jesus Christ out. Oh, y'all ain't going to trek with me today because I know y'all know we're going to talk to y'all about sharing your faith. So you're quiet on me today, but that's all right. Maybe the amen will be a life changed after this, not an amen during the sermon, but that's all right. And so I got one point for you, and I'm out your way. I'm going to leave you alone. One point, one point over. If you're going to live a, li a lifestyle of a missionary, number one and only point, mature Christians are willing to minister outside their comfort zone. That's all I want to say today. Mature Christians are willing to minister outside of their comfort zone. Look, look at what Paul says in verse 19. He says, he says in verse 19, he says, for though I am free from all, <coughs> he says, I make myself a servant to all that I may win them. When Paul talks about being free, free biblically based on uh, uh, um, uh, um, uh, my favorite passage on freedom is, is, is Galatians chapter 5 verse 1. It, it, the Bible says, for freedom Christ has set us free. Freedom is enjoying God, enjoying his people and his creation on his terms. So that means that God determines what freedom is, you don't. Okay? <laughs> so because God determines what freedom is, Paul is saying, I, 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 I am free from everybody. <clears throat> that means I'm free from the personal judgments of human beings because I've been made right with God. Oh, y'all ain't going to talk back to me. In, in other words, no matter what anybody says about you, it doesn't matter. If it's not aligned up with the fact that God has made you free, it's out of the will of God. And, and, so, and, so, and so Paul said, I'm free from your opinion. But he doesn't stop there because, see, we like freedom in Philly. You know what I'm saying? Freedom. We got entrepreneurs everywhere. Oh, y'all ain't going to talk about a, a dude to just, just take a trash can, cut it out of metal, put it on the block, just go to Fresh Ghost to get him some meat and start barbecuing out on the block. No health stuff, no, vi you know, don't have no cash register, pull a knot out of his pocket. You know what I'm saying? How much change you want? I love that about fitness. You know, then a dude may walk up to you down the street, yo, yo, yo. Head out. You know what I'm saying? And down here be all kinds of stuff, like linear off good times. You know what I'm saying? I mean, it's some, I done, some of y'all don't even know what I'm talking about. It's okay. And so... And so, <laughs> my bad, um, hustle man off Martin, y'all know what I'm talking about. All right, <laughs> all right, all right, all right, so, <laughs> and some of y'all, y'all, I lost y'all, but we got the generation together now. And so, uh, uh, um, <laughs> y'all so crazy. And so, and so, for this, so, so there's a freedom that's in our culture that we recognize, but biblical freedom is not just autonomous freedom. Freedom is never autonomous. It, it, when you're in Christ, your freedom isn't off on an island by itself. He, that's why he doesn't just say he's free. He calls himself a doulos next. He says, but I'm a servant to all. 
The word doulos means to voluntarily sell yourself into slavery. Help me today, God. In other words, the word doulos was meant when a, when a person, when a person uh, um, 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 uh, had a debt. And when they had a debt, what they would do is if they owed the person, didn't have a cheddar at the moment, what they would do is they would become a servant to the person to pay off the debt. So they would voluntarily put themselves under the commitment of another person for a season in order to pay off a debt. Well, we as believers don't become a servant of Christ to pay off a debt. We become a servant of Christ because he paid our debt. Y'all ain't going to talk to me. Y'all ain't going to talk to me. It's okay. And so, and so a missionary knows what they're free to do but bind themselves on purpose to glorify and maximize and lift up the name of God. In other words, Paul says, it's a lot of stuff I could have done. You know what I'm saying? Paul told him early in the past, I could have took an offering from y'all anytime I wanted to, but I didn't because I know what y'all think about money. See, what if more preachers would do? Never mind. I'm staying the test. It's so many people push the edge of what they can do. Uh, that that, that they never see. See, honor and glory comes from sacrifice, not snatching. Y'all ain't going to talk back to me. And so what Paul said, Paul says, Paul says powerfully, he, he, he he says, I'm free. I got all kinds of freedoms. Your boy can get it in. But what I'm going to do is I'm going to box myself into the glory of Christ so that you can see what I'm not, so that I won't live out your stereotypes about people like me or the gospel or anything that would get in the way of me being free to be able to communicate the glory of Jesus Christ to you. Let me just parenthetically pause. What in your life is, is, is barricading you from your ability to share Jesus with everybody? I, 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 I like this. He said, I'm a servant to all. I like that. He goes cross-ethnic. Cross socioeconomic. Oh, okay. See, see, many of us want to win who we're connected to. Many of us want to only win people who are like us. Y'all not going to talk back. It's okay. Um, um, many, many of us think that we let our sociology inform our theology versus our theology informing our sociology. And the problem with that is that you're, you're not just to be dedicated to people that look like you and smell like you and got the same type of bank account as you, but God has called you to win all, not just some. Now, 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 that, 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 means, that means that you have, some of you have put limitations on your life by your own preferences, and that's bound you in. It hasn't made you free. And now you got to begin to learn how to submit to God's biblical principles so that your life can be deeply connected and committed to what he wants you to do. And so, and so, and so Paul says, Paul says, he says, for though I'm free, I've I, I, I made myself, I've made myself a servant to all that I might win more of them. This word win is an interesting word. Win means to inquire for the purpose of investment. Win to inquire for the purpose. It it points to the idea of evangelism, sharing the good news of Jesus Christ with people. In Matthew 18, (coughs) it's used to talk about winning a wayward believer back to fellowship with God's people by them repenting of their sin. That's how the word win is used there. Here, the word is different 
because the word win here is pointing to taking somebody from spiritual death to spiritual life. Like Colossians 1, 11 and 12 says, uh, uh, ushering, transferring us from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of his marvelous son. I'm just telling you right now, you haven't lived life until you shared the gospel with somebody and they've gone from spiritual death to spiritual life. I'm not talking about, let me, bring my, let me bring my friend to church so that pastor can preach the gospel. Uh, no, 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 no. You can do that, but the main thing you're supposed to do is you're supposed to be a missionary where you live and dwell. Where you live and dwell. Where you live and dwell. And you're supposed to maximize everything that God has given you and leverage it for the kingdom. And so he wants to win. He wants to win folk and engage folk with the glory of the gospel of Jesus Christ in powerful and powerful and powerful ways. That's why Jesus calls the, cent- the center of what it means to be great to be a servant. Greatness is defined by you submitting yourself to the whims and wishes of others. That's in line with God's word. Okay? That I might win more. I, I, I love this idea of missions. Now, when we talk about missions or we talk about this idea, it's evangelism and mission. Mission is joining God on his quest to save lost people and redeem the world through, uh, uh, through, uh, 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 through following him in the Great Commission. Do you know the first Great Commission was given in Genesis chapter 1, verses 26 through 28? When he said go into, when he told them to be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth, before the fall, everyone would have been born saved. They would have been born in a relationship with God through Jesus Christ. And, and, and so Adam and Eve sinned foolishly, and the first thing that they did was they hid themselves among the fig leaves, you know what I'm saying, looking all around and carrying on. God, God somehow in, in a pre-incarnate way, puts all of his Shekinah in a form that makes him look like a human yet still spirit. And he hovers through, it, it, the, through, through the garden, and he walks through the garden in the cool of the day, and he calls out to Adam and Eve. He, asked, he didn't ask where Eve was, he asked where Adam was. That's another sermon. Uh, but, 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 it's, but, it, but it's interesting, he wasn't asking their geography, he was asking their spirituality. And now, now, what does this have to do with anything? Because their relationship was broken with them. Therefore, God had to condescend and go out sacrificially to become the first missionary of the universe. God is the first missionary. And because he's the first missionary, we take on that identity. And he goes and he goes to get Adam. And even though he's going to send his son later, he clothes them freely to point to the ultimate sacrifice of Christ, clothing them in his righteousness. When we go out here, we are, you, we, you have haven't become a missionary unless you had to condescend in some kind of way. Now, now you're looking at me funny. Jesus Christ ultimately doesn't clothe himself in a spiritual form when he comes. It says, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, and the Word became flesh and skeneoed among us. Pitch the tent, the old church would say. That's literally what it means. It means that he tucked his glory in a Shekinah suit, uh, in, in, a, in a flesh suit, and stepped out on planet Earth. Now, I'm just letting you know, like I always say, I wouldn't have left heaven for none of you. But Christ, Christ did that for you and me. (laughs) And so Paul lays out this idea of helping us to recognize this. But too many times in relation to winning people, the church (coughs) thinks it's waiting for God to do something. It's interesting because 
most of our prayer meetings are filled with praying for revival. And what's interesting, post the cross, you don't hear any word of revival. It's interesting that Andy Stanley the other day went on a rant on Twitter, and he said some things about revival that I think is helpful to us to recognize in relation to our text today in winning people. <clears throat> he says, praying for revival equates to blaming God for the condition of your local church. He says, revival is a work of God, and we ask him for it because we're dependent upon him to send it. That's what somebody said. Then he says, nope, too passive, get to work. Listen to me now. He says, <clears throat> he says, something I've noticed. He says, church planters don't pray for revival. They pray for opportunity, favor with unchurched people and leaders. He says, a lot of churches I've seen praying for revival are like the one kid who didn't study for the test and is praying for an A+. What does he mean by that? Well, what does he mean by that? There is no prayer in the Bible, in the New Testament, for revival. None. Jesus didn't tell us ever to pray for revival. He didn't. What he did tell us was, the souls are white for harvest. The harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, beseech the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers. He doesn't tell us to pray for revival. He lets us know that the cross and the resurrection has already provided revival. All we now need to do is go out into the vineyard of the world and go harvest people. And, and, and that, that, that's what we, because usually revival is selfish because it has to do with theological personal renewal to enjoy some, some, some soul peace of some type that has nothing to do with engaging lost people. So why Paul says, I build my life around this. I build my life around the fact that Christ brought a revival already. don't recognize you waiting for some preachers to come five nights during the week to preach you into a frenzy. Nobody gets saved, but we call it a revival. I don't mind you bringing the preachers in, but call it something else because revival's here. And so Paul challenges us to be built up by this reality. <coughs> he says in verse 20, this is where he takes a shift. And he gives us some great wisdom in this section on the different types of people <laughs> that we should be building our lives around engaging. Check it out. Verse 20, he says, to the Jews, I became as a Jew. Not, uh, he says, in order to win Jews. He says, to those under the law, I became as one under the law. <laughs> Though not being myself under the law, that I might win those under the law. Now, what is he saying? He's talking about Jews specifically, but in a more broader, broader format, <laughs> he says, I built my life around one group of people, uh, several groups of people, but this is the first one, religious people. <laughs> he says, I want my life, see, some of y'all thought religious people were already saved. There's true and false religion based on James chapter 1, the last verse. But Paul says, I'm after people that think they're saved and they're not. 
One of the most difficult things in your life is to be singing, sitting, soaking, or serving in the church and not realize that you're nowhere near the peaceful shore. Most of us based our righteousness on what we do for God. See, it's an indication when I share my faith with somebody, they begin telling me that they grew up in the church and they got baptized. They begin giving me their portfolio of, of, of why they know that they're saved based on what they've done. But the problem is that, is the Bible says we're not saved based on deeds that we did, but we've been saved by the precious blood of Jesus Christ. In other words, you're not saved based on what you do for God, because if that was the case, everybody would be saved. But the fact is, all of, all of us were going to hell with gasoline drawers on in a handbasket, but Jesus Christ, being rich in mercy, came and took the flames for each and every one of us. And see, you try, to, you try to bring your little moralism. I, I'm a good person. You know, I'm a good person or I'm a good dude. You know what I'm saying? Whatever your background is. Everybody think they're good and they begin, because I, because I, because I, because I, because I. The Bible says, by works of the law shall no flesh be justified. So you, you may be sitting in here today and you've grown up in the church, but the church ain't in you because Christ isn't. And you can be moral. You can say, well, I don't, I don't do anything. I just smoke a little weed. I don't hurt anybody. That's the person. That always, there's always somebody to say what they do bad, but how it doesn't hurt anybody, and how they're bad not hurting anybody makes them righteous. It's the weirdest thing I've ever heard in my life. Right? I don't curse anybody. I don't slap anybody. I'm not beating anybody. I'm doing it in my own. Hold on, family. Listen, listen. On your best day, your righteousness is as filthy rags. Tim Keller lays it out. He says, he said, the religious or the moralists, is a thief of God's grace. He says, how does moralism and, moralism and religion steal the joy and power of the gospel? He says, moralism is the view that you are acceptable to God, the world, others, and yourself through your own personal attainment. He says, moralists do not have to be religious, but often they are. He says, when they are, their religion, if if pretty, conservative, and filled with rules upon rules upon rules. Sometimes moralists have views of God as very holy and just, but don't know God. Moralistic people can be deeply religious, but there is no transforming power in them. That's why the Bible says that having the knowledge of the truth, but not being transformed by denying its power. It's possible. Become a church every Sunday and not know him. It's possible to say the liturgy of the church and not know him. It's possible to know all the songs and all the hymns and even the 100s and knowing all of these. It's, it's, it's possible to know bylaws and parliamentary procedures and not know him. It's possible. It's possible. Because only Christ saves and you must be able to tell the difference within your life whether you're saved by him or you think you're saved because you're putting confidence in yourself. So Paul begins saying, I'm after people who think they're saved, who think they don't need God, to show them that they are in desperate need of God. The law was never meant to tell you that you were righteous. You're in the law, somebody. You crave to quote the law. But the law was to expose God's holiness and your unrighteousness. 
because you can't get saved until you know that there's a chasm between you and God. That's why Jesus said, repent and believe the gospel. Because you can't get saved unless you announce. Repentance says, God is holy. I'm not. I want to turn to him. Faith is putting confidence in what Christ did on the cross, that he took on the wrath of God and was raised from the grave, that he did that for you. Penal substitution, vicarious substitutionary atonement for your sin. When that happens, that's how you get saved. I'm going to keep going. Nobody's excited about the gospel, just me. It's all right. Verse 21. Verse 21. So number one, number one, he's after people that think they saved. <laughs> number two, he's after people that know they ain't saved. You, you, you know you ain't saved. All right. <clears throat> Let me just say this. He says, he says, to those outside of the law, I became as one outside the law. He's not being outside the law of God, but under the law of Christ that I might win those outside the law. He said, those who ain't grew up around spiritual things in the sense of biblical moralism or any, he said, I'm after, the, that's called licentious people. That's people that wild out. And so what is, what is Paul saying? He says, I don't bring up the heftiness of the law in the beginning of engaging a person that has no law. That, that, means, that means the church has to be built to engage and, and this is what the gospel is for, to engage people, to let people know that they're not saved, even though they think they are. And it's also built to let the person that's not saved to find confidence in it because God's wrath has been satisfied. That means that the church has to be built around the fact that there will be lost people that come into the church. That means there are going to be whoremongers that come into the church. They're going to be people who cheat on their taxes, come to the church. They're going to be homosexuals, homosexuals that come into the church. They're going to be people that come in from the club with their chestations out to the church. There's going to come with all different types of people, and you can't try, when you see their sin, you don't treat them like a Christian trying to sanctify them out of their lostness. They don't need you to jam them up about their sin in that area you got to talk about the wholeness of the fact that not just that sin, but all of you is a sinner. <laughs> See, that's the problem with the church. We pick out homosexuals. We just go out to the homosexuals. You know, the girl that come in here with her dress too short and her breast out, she don't know. Talk about being a virtuous woman. Leave her alone and let her sit down and hear the gospel. I had guys come up in here breath smelling like Jack Daniels on steroids. Atheist. We had atheists, atheists and Gnostics and all different types of people coming, and you give them room to hear the gospel from you and from others. Because <laughs> we got, we're going to have licentious people. Licentious means without law. And you got to become all things to all men that you may win them. That's what we do. That's what the church is built for. The church is built for drunks. The church is built for prostitutes. The church is built for people that's not that, that may be in a boardroom who think, and listen, that it's built for crazy people because the Bible says in chapter 6 that such were some of you. Yeah. What if somebody, what if somebody would have just focused on the area of fallenness that they can see in your life? Would you even be saved today? You didn't get saved through somebody pointing out one sin. You got, you, you got saved through pointing out you are a sinner. You don't just sin. You are fully everything about you, not just the noticeable stuff, but you are rotten to the core. Help me today. 
And you, know, you don't get saved unless you know you are rotten to the core and in desperate need of comprehensive transformation from the inside out. So he tells him, he said, I won't go out to the religious people, the moral people, to think they got it all together. He said, because the gospel is so powerful that it can reach across spiritual lines. The gospel of the Bible says in Romans 1.16 is the power of God unto salvation to the Jew first, to the Greek. That means it reaches across ethnic lines. That means that same gospel that saved a white guy can save a black guy, can save an Asian guy, can save a Haitian guy, can save a Caribbean cat, can can, can save an Australian, a European, a Russian, wherever you're from. The gospel is the gospel. It's able to save. It's able to save. It's able to transform. And it's able to renew. The church has to be built around that. 22, he says, the weak, I became weak. (coughs) He says that I may win the weak. I become all things to all people that by all means, I might want to save some. It's interesting here. Weak here points to broken people. Some people, you ain't got to convince them that they need Jesus. By the t- their life has so beaten them up that by the time they hear the gospel, the Holy Spirit has so worked because he's near to the brokenhearted. By the time they hear the gospel, they ready to respond. Because God has prepared them for that response. The Bible says God is near to the brokenhearted and those who are crushed in spirit. And that's what's powerful about the gospel is it reaches high and it reaches low. It doesn't just reach in your socioeconomic class. It doesn't just reach into your ethnicity. It reaches across all of these different things to see people meet the Lord Jesus as Savior and to be transformed by his power. But he said, I become all things to all men that I may win some. That means that Paul is saying... We must keep the gospel the same, but the package can change. That means, the, 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 but the package should not get in the way of the gospel. In, 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 in other words, if you use art to share Jesus, your art shouldn't get in the way of that target audience hearing Jesus Christ the Savior. Okay, if you're a business owner, You being a business owner, your business practices shouldn't get in the way of people hearing Jesus Christ as Savior. Oh, y'all not going to talk back to me. If you're married, your marriage shouldn't be an obstacle to somebody. It should should reflect your singleness, the way you do your school. Everything in your life should be a reflection of the fact that I'm cracking my life open for Jesus Christ and for people to see who he is. So I become all things to all men. That's why one of our core values is culturally relevant ministry. When, when we say relevant, we're not talking about uh, trying to be cool. We're trying to fulfill the law. Love God, love people. If you love people, you communicate the gospel in their language. People always ask me, what do you mean by relevant? That sounds like a compromise. I always, I always tell people this. I said, what translation is the Bible that you're using? They say English. I said, now, within the English language, how many translations of the Bible is it that's faithful to the text? All of them are faithful, but they use a vernacular that's contextualized to different audiences. Therefore, because it's contextualized to different audiences, that's becoming all things to all men that you may win. In other words, it's creating and taking the unique message of God's word and, 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 and laying it into the vernacular of the people so it says what God says without getting in the way what God says, but says to them so they understand in their language exactly what God originally said, and they respond based on how God wants them to respond. But the good thing about the gospel is you are not over the response of people. 
You can't convince nobody to get saved. You sh- your role is to share the gospel. Somebody said, well, God's sovereign, and if God wants them to get saved, he'll bring them to the faith. The devil is a liar. The Bible says, how would they hear without a preacher? So that means it has to become, well, I'm not wired that way. I don't know where in the Bible where we can find somebody's not wired to share Jesus. I'm not wired to share my faith. That's not in the, that's the devil. Don't, don't look at me funny. That, that, that's the enemy trying to get you not to share Jesus' faith. When you begin to use your wiring, you're reducing the gospel to your ability and not God's ability. <laughs> and so that means all of us are called to do this. He says, then I may win some. You ain't going to win everybody, but it ain't your job to let the gospel lay on you. And, and, and you think about, in this sense, and you begin to think about you sharing the gospel will make you be viewed in a certain way. Yep, pretty much. Join the centuries of Christians that look stupid because they believed in Jesus. It ain't nothing new. How in the world are you embarrassed to shave, to, say, to share the life-transforming message of the gospel? When Christ comes back, when Christ comes back, some people are going to be thankful to you. To God for you communicating. The, well, God's going to save him anyway. Shut up. I'm sick of that. Share the gospel. When he comes back, Paul says in the last verse, he says, I do this so that they may share in the blessings with us. Oh, man. That's beautiful. It's nothing like seeing a person that was crazy, crazy on steroids, you share the message with the gospel over time or one time with them, and they go from spiritual death to spiritual life, and they're different. Amen. It ain't nothing like seeing a wife coming to church by herself. Where your husband? Pray for my husband, baby. And you keep praying for him. All of a sudden, God blesses him to come to faith in Jesus Christ. Then he becomes the leader that he's supposed to become. Then he becomes the father that he's supposed to become. It's nothing like seeing the, the, the single person that was wilding out, losing their ever-loving mind, doing God knows what, and meeting Jesus Christ through the power of the gospel and being a totally different person. It's nothing like seeing a drug addict who was using drugs as their functional savior and coming to hear the good news about the gospel of Jesus Christ and God giving them the power through the gospel to not just go from spiritual death to spiritual life, but to put down their functional Savior and put their faith in Jesus Christ. It's nothing like seeing a prideful person that all they do is think about themselves and they're absorbed in themselves, built their lives around themselves, coming and trusting Jesus Christ as Savior and going from spiritual death to spiritual life. It's nothing like seeing a prostitute that used to sell her body to cover over the pain with the drugs that she was, to, to cover over what she went through when she was growing up. And and then Jesus Christ ultimately comes, and when he comes in her life, he does something so powerful that it makes her close her legs and put up her hands because of the power of God through Jesus Christ. I don't know who you're praying for, and I don't know who I'm talking to, but I'm just trying to let you know today, your life is to be poured out for Christ. <laughs> you think back. Do we preach to homosexuals? Absolutely. We want to see a person that's wrestling with homosexual tendencies, which is sin, to love them and see the gospel penetrate them. And that's not curse them out because of their place. 
I don't care how tolerant it becomes in our society. We tolerate the sense of engaging them, but we don't make room for the sin. I don't care how much the world changes, it's still a sin. But what we do is we proclaim the gospel to them so it offends for the right reasons, not the wrong reasons. Can you imagine them coming to faith in Christ and laying down their lifestyle for an identity? (laughs) All I'm trying to say, all I'm trying to say today is that Paul is saying we build our lives around this. We don't build our lives around our economy. We don't build our lives around safety even. That's hard to say in our day. We don't build our lives around it. We think that's for a past generation of martyrs. We think, we think, we, we, what, what our lives are filled, should we try to have things nice for our family? I'm not talking about not enjoying anything. But if all you think about is self-enjoyment, you've missed it. You're supposed to go to the danger and the broken and the hurt and the prideful. Even if you go to the nice place, go in there ferociously with the gospel of Jesus Christ. Let your light so shine. What is God calling you to let down and to give up so that your life, I'm done, pour it out for him. I got three minutes and 45 seconds. I'm going to milk him. And I'm just trying to tell you right now, it is a shame and a disgrace that we as the church want to find our lives in what we get. <clears throat> we want to be around people that look like us, that smell like us, and talk like us. But I'm just letting you know right now, the glory of the gospel is God showing himself off through people who shouldn't be doing something, magnifying Christ where it shouldn't be magnified. And so my prayer today, family... My prayer today, family of God, is that each and every one of us, no matter how old you are, you're still a missionary. No matter how young you are, if you're a believer, when you get saved, if you're four years old, you're a missionary. (laughs) If you're single, your, your, your walk with Christ doesn't start when you get married. It started when you were born again. You're a missionary. Family, you're not so much of a father and so much of a wife and so much of a parent and so much of a provider that you can X out opportunities to share Jesus Christ with people. Build your life. I like the way Lecrae said it. He says, my life is built around him. He's the life of my rhymes. I refuse to chase that ice. I refuse to waste my life because here's my gifts and times and I'm constantly trying to be used to praise the Christ. If this news can change your life, then this news can make you right. And by his grace, you can put your faith in the place that rules your days and nights. That's what I want to be. I want to put my faith in the place that rules my day and nights. I'm done. Father. Lord God, we're in a broken city. Matter of fact, Philly ain't the only broken place. The world's broken. Even even Beverly Hills is broken. They just cover it up a little differently. Palm Springs is broken. West Palm is broken. The Hollywood Hills is broken. It's just in the hood. We can't afford to cover it up. 
<laughs> but everywhere is broken. Every ethnicity is broken. We're in desperate need of people that are saying, I'm going to live my life in every way for you, but Christ is going to bleed out of me. Because you said we have this treasure in earthen vessels so that the surpassing greatness of the power is not of ourselves, but of Christ. And God, that treasure that's inside of us is the gospel, and you break us to bring the treasure out. So God, I'm praying today for someone. Someone's here. You've never placed your faith in Christ and Christ alone for salvation. Maybe you have grown up in the church and you have religious background, whether Islamic or whatever, and you believe that you're good because you're comparing yourself to others. But our goodness is not comparing ourselves to others. It's comparing ourselves to Jesus Christ. And the Bible says that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. The only one that has been committed as a human fully to the glory of God is Jesus Christ himself. All the rest of us were born, born to be uncommitted to Jesus Christ's glory. But the Bible says, and while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Bible says in verse, right after that it says, and we were saved from the wrath of God. What is the wrath of God? God's anger towards our sin. He has a right to be angry. Why would he be angry with your sin? Because sin is to miss the mark, to miss the mark of his perfect and holy character. And every one of us by nature are born hostile against who God is. Hostile. And what God does is God created hell for the devil and his angels Matthew 25, 41. And when Adam sinned, he allowed hell to expand a little bit more to not only make sure it made room for two-thirds of the angels, but everyone that would not put their faith in Jesus Christ. But God being rich in mercy and not a dumb God, before the foundations of the earth, appointed Jesus Christ to die on the cross for our sins. Millennia later, Christ comes on the scene, full of grace and truth, to live the life that we can never live. Die on the cross, and while on the cross, God put his anger on Christ. He turned his anger, and he put it all on Christ so that every time Christ was hit, when he was nailed to the cross, every time a piece of skin was torn from his body, it was God showing his anger towards sin. And Christ was so indescribably, indescribable. You, the Bible says in Isaiah 53, you wouldn't have recognized him. But that's the pouring out of God's wrath was to make Christ ugly for us to be made beautiful. And on the third day, he got up from the grave, showing that God gave the receipt for the fact that Christ fully paid for our sins. And in order to interact with this reality of his death being for you, you switching places with him and getting up with the grave with him to be in a relationship with God, you got to repent. Turn towards God by faith in Jesus Christ. Repentance and faith is almost the, side, the two different sides of the same coin. Repent saying he's clean and spotless and we are not. And then you place your confidence in him that he died on the cross and was raised for your sin.